The By the Hood podcast is brought to you by Discover Your Options. Getting started with trading options may seem intimidating, but with the Discover Your Options bootcamp, you'll be up to speed faster than you could have ever imagined. No matter what your ultimate goal is, learn the basic skills and gain all the confidence needed to ultimately win in the exciting world of options. Go to By the Hood University and click on the link for Discover Your Options to receive the code for 60% off the bootcamp. That's right, 60% off. Remember, go to Buy the Hood University, look at Discover Your Options, and get 60% off. What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the Buy the Hood podcast or webcast because I don't know how you're consuming this content. I'm your host as always. My name is Jimmy. And as we start off every show, that's with gratitude. Just want to say thank you to all of our supporters, anyone that follows us online, shares our content, buys our merch, all of our student and our By the Hood University courses. Just want to say thank you to all of you guys. Um, my partner in crime is with me as always. Corey, what's up, bro? I'm loving, man. You know, glad to be breathing and, and glad to be, you know, in good health, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 2020, in 2020, that's saying a lot, right? You know, right, it's yeah. a crazy year, man. But um, as you people know, we like to highlight brothers and sisters that look just like us that are doing amazing things in the community. Um, and this gentleman that we have here, it's funny, right? Before we came on, I, told, I thought that he was the actual founder of this amazing organization called Diversified Community Services, but he's the executive director, um, which is amazing because when you look it up, like I love the work they're doing and you look up the organization, his face is all over there. So you're synonymous with that, but we, <laughs> we have the attorney, yeah. community activist, uh, Otis Bullock Jr. is in the building. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I appreciate you. Um, you have me there here. And it's interesting that you, what you say about diversified, because everybody say that I get calls from people who want to start nonprofits. Right. And they think that I started this one. And I tell them, I, I've never started a nonprofit. I run a nonprofit, but I've never started one. Right. <laughs> um, and, and it really was all a part of, you know, my, my overall plan. I did want to put my name on, on this. Um, but this was a historically um, white organization. It was I'm the first black person to to run it that service a predominantly African American um, um, population. And one of wow. the things that I'm trying to do is uh, is change that narrative. You know why why is it that uh, we're, we're good enough to serve? Um, we're we're good enough to work at organizations, but when it comes time to running these organizations, we're not good enough to run the organizations that service our people. So I'm trying to change that narrative. Man, I heard it. It's powerful, powerful, right? All right, so um, tell us a little bit about your background. What city are you from? What schools did you attend? Um, so I'm, I'm Philly, um, born, born and raised. Um, I, what part I of Philly? With, well, both north and um and west. I gotta claim both because if I if I don't, then then my, my I folks are, we got my you. folks are, are get me. I, I was born on 17th in Jefferson and um in North Central um Philly, and then at about the age of 10, my father moved us out to Mantua. Uh, which is also known as the bottom, the black bottom. Um, so from birth to 10, I was up north um, from age 10 until I went off to college. I was in Mantua with my mom still in north. My mother and father went together. So I kind of went back and forth between north and, um, and, and west. Um, and then after graduating from law school, I came back to North Philly with my, uh, with my wife and, and, and started my family here. So 
I'm still in North Philly, so I gotta I gotta claim both. If I don't claim West, my folks out there that they'll got get you, me. got you. <laughs> Listen, if those from Philly, we already know 17th and Jefferson is a notorious uh, uh, little corner right there. So you know, if you know, you know. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah, if you know, you know. Yeah. But anyway, um, so when you went away to school, uh, where'd you go undergrad? I went to Westchester. Um, actually, that's where, uh, where where I met Corey. Corey's my uh, my man from uh, from Westchester. Uh, we had a we had a nice crew there at, at Westchester. We still tight to this day, all of us. Yeah, right? nice. Uh, and and to be honest, I'm not um, a person who have like a large circle of um of friends. And and really, the only real people that I consider my uh, my friends are are the ones from uh from from college and and, and before um that I still have contact with. Gotcha. So yeah, I went to Westchester University, got my uh, my degree in political science there, and then from there I went off to law school at Temple Law and got my law degree. Nice, nice. So is um the law something that you always wanted to get into, or did, you know something that, or was it always politics? What what was your interest uh that you know made you take this journey? It was both. I kind of had a grand plan as a kid. Since I was eight years old, I wanted to be um, a lawyer. Uh, but the reason I wanted to be a lawyer, I, I really, I wanted to be a civil rights lawyer. I wanted to be a, a lawyer um, for my people. I wanted to be a, a person that can be a resource for for my people and that can bring resources back into the community. So I wasn't one of those people who wanted to, you know, go off, go to school, and then go go off to the suburbs and, and live, you know, in a big house out there. I really wanted to become a lawyer so I could have access to resources and bring those resources back to um, my community. And I wanted to do politics, too. So I had this all lined up. I didn't do any of this stuff, by the way. Um, I had it all lined <laughs> up. You know, go to school, go to college, um, go to law school, become a lawyer, do civil rights law for, for about maybe about, you know, 10, 15 years, and then parlay that civil rights career um, into um, a, a, a career in politics. Um, you know, kind of like, you know, Adam Clayton Powell you know, type of um type of person Understood. where he was Got like you. like like a preacher, but he's also was a was a congressman. Mm-hmm. So that's really how I wanted to um, um parlay that because I figured my experience doing the civil rights work would get me into politics, and I can you know go down to Congress, be down in Washington D.C., and really make some change for um for our communities. Now, none of that happened. The only thing that happened is I became a lawyer and I hated it. Right. <laughs> 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 so let's talk about that though let's talk about that right so you, you, you spend all this time like you know getting to this place where yeah. you think you want to go and then yeah. you start and um you hate it right but it takes yeah. courage to to kind of like you know make a shift there especially when so much has been invested in that so yeah. what was that like well you know i grew up you know really following the civil rights movement and all, all everything that i read was, was about that right so, which is why I wanted to be a lawyer. You think about Thurgood Marshall, where, you know, he was able to, to have a lot of stuff overturned, arguing from the Supreme Court, and then eventually become a Supreme Court justice. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking along those lines, but when I got to law school, what I found is that the law is really about maintaining the status quo, right? Um, mm. Everything that you do is based upon precedent, what we've been doing. So if what we've been doing, you know, is unjustified, the, the law says we still got to keep on doing that, right? So it wasn't a lot, you know, it wasn't a lot of people really um, in law school, you know, trying to do it um, on, you know, on, on a strength. You know, folks are trying to make money. They're trying to get up into the, um, into the big firms. And if you're not doing that, 
then you would basically consider it um, a, a failure. Yeah, so, that's an actual fact. What you just said right there is a fact. I went to law school as well, <laughs> and what you said yeah. is an actual fact. But um, it, you know, it's like if you're not trying to jump into corporate law and make a gazillion dollars, yeah. like they look at you like you, they look at you like an alien. Um, like, yeah, what yeah. are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing. And the second thing is, I just want to ask you about your experience because when I was in law school, um, it was like four or five of us in in the, in the whole spot. So, what was the representation when you were there? What was that like? So, when I when I when I when I came to Temple, and Temple was considered diverse. So, keep this in mind. This was better than most, right? We had a class of three hundred. Out of the 300, we had 20 black people. Out of the 20 black people, only six of us were black males. And I think, I think like half of us, or, or more than half of the black males, actually felt their first year. Include wow. me. I felt my first year. So typically, you do a full-time program in law school. You do three three years. I did four years because I felt my first year. And a lot of people don't know that, you know, they, they look at me now and they'd be like, oh man, you, you know, you're so intelligent. Like, how could you, how could you fail your first year of law school? That It doesn't seem like you would be the type of person who had, who had ever failed. But the culture just wasn't set up for us in, in that way. And it's not just coming in and being black, but also coming in and being from a different socioeconomic background. So the other black students that were there, a lot of them weren't poor like I was. They didn't lack the resources that like I did. You know, some of them, you know, were were coming from the black middle class. So even those folks, I, I could I couldn't relate to them. They couldn't relate to me. When I when I got to law school, I was rocking, you know, like corn corn rolls because at the time Alan Iverson was, was the man, right? Yes. I'm I'm coming to school with corn rolls and jerseys, which it's not unusual in college. But in law school, they looking at me like, "What's wrong with you? Why are you dressing like that?" They looking at you like, uh, do, "Do you need representation?" <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting. So in law school, law school was like the first time that I felt like I didn't even belong in a group of black people. I expected racism from white folk, but I didn't expect to, um, to be looked down upon by uh, my own people. And that was the first time that had ever happened. I had come from college where I was like the president of the Black Student Union. I was like Mr. Black Man, you know, they, they called me Brother Malcolm. And <laughs> and when I get to um, law school, you know, everything was much more uh, um, subdued and um, middle class and, you know, a middle class lifestyle that I, I just didn't understand because I didn't come from it. Yeah. So when you decided like, you know, this just isn't for me, right? So you said that you said the law is about the yeah. precedent, right? So I get that. Um, yeah. But that takes courage. How how like how long did it take you to make that decision? Like I'm going to go look to something else because um, I understand the kind of courage that takes to invest so much time, like I said, into one thing and then just make that shift. Well, you know what's interesting. I I made the decision um, probably it was right after law school because law school was tough for me. You know, just just anyway. You know, I had professors trying to get me put out. I, I had a lot of stuff going on um, in law school because they just didn't like me. They didn't like my attitude. They didn't like um, my, my approach. And what they try to do is it's almost like they try to, um, they, they try to break you. They, you know, they, they, they want, they want you to believe that because you're in this certain club of people that, that you're better than everybody else. And, and for me, it was important for me to really hold on to who I was, the core of who I was and where I came from. 
because I knew the people that I wanted to serve. Look, if I came out of law school acting different, it, it, it wouldn't mean anything. It wouldn't make a damn difference where I came from because they'd be like, bro, you ain't the same, right? So I couldn't lose that. So that grit that I had from coming from North Philly, from coming from the bottom, I needed to keep it because I knew if I, if I was going to lead my people, I still got to, you know, kind of come out with that grit, come out with that swag or else they're not going to believe it, right? Yeah. Um, but law school try to clean you all up and try to polish you all up. And I wasn't trying to be polished. So I had a hard time um, just getting through law school as it was. And the only thing that got me through law school is that, you know, I had to take out $20,000 in, um, in student loans like that first year. And that's the only thing that kept me there. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to leave here 20,000 in debt and no degree that ain't happening. Right. So I stuck it through just for that. I'm like, if I'm going to be in debt, I'm at least come out with this degree. And mm -hmm. then we'll figure out, you know, what's going to happen after I get out of here. And, um, and really what changed my mind about finding new ways to, um, to, to use my, my skills and to use my law degree was an experience that I had with the public defender's office. I interned for the Philadelphia public defender's office for, for about three years while I was in law school. I, I interviewed, I, I, um, I, I interned for the, uh, for the city office, but I also interned for the federal office too. Okay. So I was like, I was like Mr. Public Defender. Like I was at the public defender's office so much that other attorneys thought that I worked there. They didn't know that I was just an intern. And it was supposed to be basically like almost guaranteed that I was going to get a job there, which to me was the, like the next best thing to being a civil rights attorney, you know, going in, you know, representing people who can't represent themselves, um, you know, getting them out of um, jail, you know, fighting the system. I was all about that. And I, I was a damn good trial attorney. Um, but what happened when it came time to, um, to give out the jobs, um, what the public defender's office did is they threw my, uh, my transcript back in front of my face. So they told, they told me for three years that grades wouldn't matter. Um, and then when it came time to give me a job, they pulled out my grades. Ooh, that's, right? that's nasty. Yeah. So, so I'm sitting there, right? And they, they telling me, yeah, you know, Otis, we love you. You know, you're like family. You've been here for, um, for three years. All the attorneys in here speak very highly of you. You know, all these accolades, right? But we need to discuss something. And he pulls out my, uh, my transcript and he slides my transcript in front of me. So my, because I failed my first year of law school, um, I was placed upon um, academic probation. Being on academic probation, I had to redo my entire first year of law school, right? So I got all new grades. So those grades for the first year didn't count. But what they do on your transcript is they keep them there. So even though they don't count towards your GPA, they keep them there so that people can see it kind of jacking you up. So even though I had a good GPA, they still could see that I was on um, academic probation my first year. So he pushes this, the, um, the transcript in front of me and um, he said, let's talk about that. I slide it back over and I said, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, let's not talk about that at all. Right. So he slides it back over and he's like, I think we should. And I was like, I don't see the point. I've been with y'all for three years. You know my work. You don't need a transcript to tell you whether I'm good or not, right? Either you like me or, or you don't. 
So he said, well, obviously we like you because if, if we didn't like you, we wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. So for me, that was like strike number one because you treat me like I, I, I need you, right? And in my mind, you need me. This office needs me, right? You know, I'm the kid from North Philly. When these clients walk in here and they tell me about how they got locked up at, at 15th and Styles, I know exactly where 15th and Styles is. I know the Chinese store that they was in, you know? And I know the story that they're telling me is bullshit based upon real knowledge, right? Yeah. And, and no white kid from, from NYU or, or, or Penn or, or wherever the hell they went to um, the, the law school going to know that stuff, right? When, 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 they, when they're telling me the stories about how the police locked them up for no reason, you got the white kid going, that's bullshit. That don't make sense. And I'm saying it make plenty of sense to me. That sounds about right. <laughs> 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 you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, y'all y'all need me, and you treating me like 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 I need y'all, right? And you, you got me sitting here wanting me to like kind of like beg for a job when y'all know the work that I do is, is good work. So then he goes into this bill. Well, you know, we have a history of African-American men not passing the bar. I'm like, well, what that got to do with me? I'm going past the bar. And he's, he's like, based upon your grades, I don't think that you are. So I'm wow. like, well, I'm, I'm, yeah. He told me straight up. So, so he was like, here's what we're going to do. He said, we're going to give you, and this was different. Usually the way it works, they give you an offer, right? You accept the offer. You take the bar in, um, in July. Um, you get your results sometimes in, in September or, or October. By that time, you had already started the job. So you find out whether you pass or whether you fail after you start the job. And if you fail, you get another shot in February to take it again. And if you fail again, then they let you go. But what they did with me, because they already determined in their mind that I wasn't going to pass the bar, they said, we're going to give you a conditional offer. And it, it's conditioned upon you passing the bar so if you pass the bar then you can come and you can work for us in the spring if you don't pass the bar in the spring yeah if you don't if you don't pass the bar then you just don't have it you just won't have a job you don't have an offer and i'm sitting there like what kind of fucking bullshit this is right you go so you're just gonna switch it up for me because because i'm a black male and you don't think i'm gonna pass the bar and i'm like all right I'll take that offer. Because one thing I, I, I learned to do, I, I don't always put my cards on the table. So I walked out I walked out of that room with no expectation of ever working for the public defender's office. So what I was going to do is I was going to go past the bar and I was going to go about my business, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I was going to do. And then later on that summer, they called me up and they was like, well, look, we got a couple extra slots in our in our training program, because typically when they hired a new crop of um of attorneys, they knew, normally hire like a, a crop of 20, 22 attorneys every year. Yeah. And the Philly Public Defender's Office got like the best training in the country, like hands down. There's nobody better. So when they called me up and was like, um, you can come and you can sit in and do our training, even though I officially didn't have an offer. I took it because what I was planning to do, I was planning to go open my own law practice. So in planning to open my own law practice, I'm not going to turn down, you know, the training, the training that, they, that they're going to yeah, give me. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in the training and I'm sitting there 
all the attorneys know me, right? They don't know none of these other new cats that they hired, right? But they know me. And all the attorneys don't know that I'm not really a part of the class. They don't know that I'm not hired, right? So I'm sitting there with 21 people that they hired. They didn't hire me, but I'm in the class with them. They, they dumb as shit, right? They, they don't know nothing. <laughs> I know everything. And all the attorneys are like, if y'all have any questions, y'all can ask Otis. And I'm sitting here like, but, but I'm, I'm a mug kid without a job, right? But they need to ask me, right? And the thing that happened, I don't know if it was, if it was fate or not. During this time, this was like, um, this is 2004. In 2003, I had the great fortune to have one of my, um, my former um, chess coaches. He blew up and became like a big time nationally acclaimed principal. And he wrote a book called I Choose to Stay. Yo, I'm reading that right now. I'm in that book. The, the last oh, chapter of that book is about I didn't get me. there yet. I didn't even yeah, get the there yet. Interesting. Yeah, so, so in that book, the last chapter of his book is about me. He wrote about me because I was his first student to graduate from college. So he, the, the, name, the name of the chapter is called um, I Need More Graduations. But he talked yeah, about I mean, how... Here's what's crazy about... You know what's crazy about that, right? <laughs> I didn't notice coming into this, and I'm currently reading the book. <laughs> But earlier when you said something about what law school does to you, it reminded me of the book because I'm currently reading it. When he yeah. talks about him going to Masterman, yeah. he yep. going to the school and how they try to make him feel about where he comes from, right? Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing you were saying about law school. They try to make you feel same as thing. though you're better than... Like, so it kind of reminded me of his book. And I'm thinking that in my head as you said that. And I didn't even know that, you know, that there was an affiliation there, which is interesting. But... And that's something also to go back real fast about that, because I see that happening at a lot of colleges. Um, and don't let it be someone that comes from an Ivy League. Oh, God, it's even worse. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> but law school, I also understand that, too, how it's like you're part of this elite group. And it's kind of and, and this this bothers me to no end. And Corey knows I talk about this ad nauseum, how some of our folks look down on not only their people, but their own yeah. family and where they come from. And Absolutely. I see that with a lot of college graduates. And then as you move up the chain, masters, it gets worse. And some of these um, Ivy League PhDs, you might as well forget about it. Like they're, they're and, I, I, and I never bought into that. I never bought into that. It's the reason why I live in Strawberry Mansion right now. You, you come to my house, I, I'm in the hood, hood. And, and people ask me, well, do you feel safe for you and your family? I'm safer here than I would be out in the suburbs. I would be afraid for my two black boys out in the suburbs. But I'm not afraid here. Ain't nobody messing with me and my boys and my family here. Yep. Because I, I never I never sold out. I never bought into the whole narrative that because, you know, I, I went to college and I went to law school, now somehow I'm better than my people. I'm not better. You literally bought in the hood. I was there when you right. you did your house warming. You literally yeah. in the hood. Yeah. yeah. Listen, yeah. I, I relate to that like I I'm the same way. I, I like <laughs> yeah, I, I, I moved yeah. away and moved back like this. This is where I belong because right. I want people to see that, you know, um, that people like me, you exist, that you can that yeah. you can be a professional and, and, and have things going on for you, but still be a part of the community. So, um, yeah, but that's interesting. That whole that whole uh, part, you being part of the book. Now I got to go uh, finish the book. Yeah. Up to see, to see, to see. That's interesting to hear that, though. But that's that's dope, though, because that's a good. So, so, I, so I was in the I was in the book. Right. So that was the good fortune. I didn't know he was going to write a book and I didn't know I was going to be in it. And what he was doing is, um, I mean, the book was doing really well. And he was taking me around with him 
during his um while, while he was doing his book event. So then that got me to doing speaking engagements with him. Right. So I really didn't really um need this um job. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. And and what happened while we were in training, which is unusual, the bar results came out early. And I passed. But I, I expected to pass, right? I wasn't surprised. I wasn't overly happy. It was like a, a matter of fact type thing, right? Gotcha. I passed. I expected to pass, right? I would have been disappointed if I didn't pass, but I'm not overly happy that I passed. I did what I was supposed to do. But a couple of those people that they um that they hired instead of me didn't pass. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I get called um to, to the office, right? And 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 I go in and they're like, Congratulations. And I'm like, for what? And they're like, You you passed. And I'm like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I told y'all I was gonna pass, right? So so they was like, So you know what that means, right? I'm like, Yeah, you know, I got I got an offer for the spring. I was I was not expecting to come back in the spring. Basically what I was gonna do is I was gonna take their training, I was gonna go out. I was going to start my own law practice. If I was successful, I wasn't coming back. And if I was unsuccessful, I'm like, all right, I got to fall back in the spring. I got a job in the spring, right? Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Thinking, got right? you, got you. <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm going to go do some book tours with, you know, with my teacher and, and, and make some money doing that because I started getting job offers because of the book. Like, people was reading a book. We, I had a black firm up in Newark, New Jersey that, that had given me an offer, but I didn't want to go up to Newark. But they gave me an offer just off the strength that they read the book and was inspired and they was they wanted to give me an offer. So stuff like that was happening. I didn't need the public defender's office. Um, so they're like, you know what that means? I'm like, yeah, I got an offer for the spring. And then he says, no, you're starting right now. And I, I stood there kind of like stone-faced. I didn't say anything. And he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I made other plans. Like I, 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 I can't start right now. And he was like, "But I thought you said you wanted to be a public defender." I'm like, "I did want to be a public defender until you like kicked me in the ass and, and told me I wasn't, <laughs> yeah. wasn't nothing." And, and and I mean, I'm not the type of person. Look, if you allow somebody to kick you in the ass once, they're gonna keep on doing it. I know how how that game works, right? So if I had allowed them to do that then, and then I come in. And, and act like I'm grateful to um to have a job. They're gonna kick my ass the whole time yep. that I'm working for them. I, I I know that. I I learned learned that from my father. I learned that from North Philly. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I'm like, no, nah, I made other plans. And he's like, what do you mean you made you made other plans? I'm giving you an offer right now. I'm like, you told me. Now now listen to this. You told me that the best case scenario for me that if I pass that I wouldn't be working until the spring. Would you want an employee that just basically like sat on his ass the whole time, like waiting to, um, the, the, the work in, in, in March? I made plans, man. So then what he did, he was like, well, I'm taking that offer um, off the table. It's either, it's either now or never. And I'm like, I guess it's never. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing never. <laughs> Say less. And, and, and I made that decision. I didn't even have a job. I didn't have a job when uh, when I made that decision. And and I went back and I, I, I talked to all my mentors and 
and, and all my teachers, and I really didn't like the advice that they were giving me. They were like, well, Otis, you can't turn down a job if you, if you don't have a job. It, you know, everything was about, you know, having a job. Um, but for me, it wasn't about having a job. It was about having self-dignity, right? And, you know, that's one of the things that I preach to everybody that I, um, that I mentor and everybody that I try to help. And I, and I treat them with a certain amount of dignity. I want people to be able to have dignity. And you, you, can't, you can't teach it. You can't preach it if you don't practice it yourself, right? So, so that's not the way I wanted to start off my career and, and letting people, you know, kick me around in that way. Um, what so, was their response to, because uh, I, I heard you talk about how other firms and everything were inspired by the book. And, yeah. you know, what was the public defenders? Did they know about the book or the fact that, you know, you were part of it? Um, no, they didn't know. They didn't know about the um, book. And I, I told when I told them about the book, and you know, they were kind of like on their their high horse, like, "Well, Otis, are you trying to be, you know, a lawyer? Are you trying to be a public speaker?" Wow. My thing, my my, my thing is, why can't you be both? I could be, be both. both. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. You can't limit me and tell me what I can't do, right? Look, I could come. I could work for you during the day. I could go do my my speaking engagement at night and on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Right. And the work that I do here can inspire the work that I do there, and the work that I do there can inspire the work that I do there. But they they didn't see it that way. So I turned the job down. I didn't have a job, but at the same time, um, Councilwoman Janie Blackwell had my resume, and she had called me. She called me um, for an interview um, to be her um, counsel for a legislative aide and, um, and, and counsel. And, and I came in, I interviewed with her, and I asked her um, what was it about my resume that she liked? Because at that point in time in my career, nobody wanted to hire me. You know, everybody was kicking me in the ass. The only notoriety that I got was from the, the book. But from my actual work as a, as a law student, as an attorney, nobody, nobody, no, nobody was respecting that. Um, so what's interesting, uh, when I asked her what she liked about my resume, she said, um, Oh, I didn't, I didn't look at your resume. She never got past my cover letter. So what happened was in my cover letter, because she, um, she represented West Philly, I spoke about, you know, how I um, grew up down the bottom. And that I remember when she first got elected in, um, in 1991, I was, uh, I was 12 years old. <laughs> and, um, and I always respected her and her husband, Lucian Blackwell, because mm -hmm. Lucian Blackwell used to be a council person, then he became yeah, I'm the, familiar uh, with the, the, the congressman. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I grew up I grew up in the um in the district and I grew up down the bottom and I wrote that in my um in my cover. And I, and I told the only thing I want to do is um is, is represent my people. That's all I want to do. That's all I wanted to do through law school. But they was acting like they were too good to let me do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um yeah. like like I wasn't good enough to represent my people. And Janie Blackwell said, Yeah, I read your cover letter and um you know, you said you was you was from down the bottom, and I don't I don't know any um any young lawyers to come from down the bottom, so I called you, no. and I'm like okay, and basically the interview was like she wasn't asking me nothing legal, she wasn't asking me anything professional, she was asking me who I knew, she wanted to make sure that, <laughs> she she wanted to make sure you, did you really live down the bottom or you just talking shit right, yeah. you know what I mean because um. She she had gotten another. She told me she had gotten another resume from um from, from this girl who had um who had went to Penn. 
and she was acting like she lived in the district, but she's not really from the district. She just went to Penn. She's from. She wanted yeah. to know. She wanted to know was I really from down the bottom? So she asked me if I if I know all these people, right? And she she asked me about the ward leader. I didn't know the ward leader. She asked me like all these people because my my family wasn't like um politically involved. They wasn't involved in the community or anything like that. In fact, you know, my my dad was was a drug dealer, so my family wasn't connected in that way to the yeah. community. But then she mentioned somebody's name that rung a bell. She asked me, do I know Rick Young? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I, 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 know, I know him. He used to cut my hair. In fact, Rick Young was, um, was my barber when I was a kid. And my stepmom used to, um, used to cook dinners for the, um, for the guys at the barbershop. And I used to deliver the, uh, the dinners to the, um, to the barbershop for them. And since then, Rick had kind of like um, blown up too. And he became more of a developer. So he basically, he used to be in the music business, right? And then he took his money from the music business to create other businesses like barbershops and stuff like that. And then as he continued to make money, he started to snatch up properties. So then he became a developer in the community. And then he used the money that he made as a developer to create a nonprofit to do like community development stuff. So he became real big. And I didn't know because I had been gone for eight years, four years of college, mm-hmm. four years of um, a law school. Only thing I knew him as was he used to be my barber, right? Um, but when she asked me, did, did I know him? I was like, yeah, I do. I know him. I, I know him. And she was like, um, cool. Well, I'm, I'm going to call I'm gonna call Rick and see what he said. And at that point, I had been gone for like eight yeah, years. He might be like, I don't know who you're talking about. So I'm down at City Hall, right? I go down. I jump on the L, ride straight to the bottom, right? Go back to the um to the barbershop. I'm looking for Rick. So everybody in there, his brother, everybody in there. And I'm they like, yo, man, where you been? How you been? And I'm like, look, I ain't got time to, you know, to have a whole lot of rap right now. But you know, basically I went to college, I went to law school, and now I'm a lawyer. They're like, Oh, you you're a paralegal? No, I'm not a paralegal. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Tried to play right because everybody think you know you know people do that you know they they go to you know they they go to Pierce or something you know get their their associates to be a paralegal and they be like oh you know you're a lawyer no no not a lawyer um you're paralegal but so I'm like basically I'm looking for Rick where's Rick right and they're like oh well you know he's right up the street I'm gonna call him they called him up um so I went and met Rick at like 35th and Haverford basically like a block away from um where I used to live. I grew up on um on thirty fifth and Mount Vernon, thirty fifth and Haverford is like basically a block away. So he's like, "Yo, what's up, man? What's going on?" So I was like, "Look, Rick, man, I don't know if you remember me." And then he stopped me. He was like, "Yeah, I remember you. You know, you you know your, your mom and your brothers and sisters ran down yeah. my whole family." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that's me." So I just graduated from um from from law school. I got my law degree. That's why I ain't been around. And he was like, yo, man, that's what's up, man. I'm proud of you. I was like, yeah, but I need you to do something for me. He was like, what's that? I said, I was just down at City Hall. I just had an interview with, uh, with, with Janie Blackwell. He said, yeah, Janie, that's my girl, right? That's, that's what's up. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to get this job. And if she call you and ask you, do you know me? I need you to, um, to tell her that you know me and put in a good word for me. And he was like, no doubt, man, no doubt. And I ended up getting that job. And that's how I yeah. got into politics. Now, it's a story, uh, you know, it's, it's a lesson there um, about relationships. 
yeah, and, yeah. And how important relationships can be in terms of growing into who it is that you want to be. So that, that that's that's important. And also um reputation. Cause you could have yeah. been a slime ball and you'd be like, remember me? He'd be like, yeah, you yeah. know, you robbed me for this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, so how you, how you treat people, reputation exactly. and also just relationships are very important as you grow. And, so, and, and your work was speaking for you. And then the thing is, she didn't even look at your resume. She looked at your cover letter, which means right. you, you had the right mindset going into the job, which is what she that's was right. looking for. Yeah. 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 yeah so that, for that's, sure. that's, for sure. That's all important stuff then. So that's how you got into politics. Now, how did you go from, you know, um, all that work in the city hall or whatever? Tell us about diversified community services. Cause you said that this organization has been around for years, but like, yeah. and again, I said, I've been on the site, I've been on the Facebook page. I see everything that got going on and I'm very impressed, right. but to me, you're synonymous with them. So, yeah. and, and I guess when you told the story about it being a white run organization, that's probably why I don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> but with that being said, um, how did you get to that point and and become executive director? How'd that all happen? Well, it actually happened through through um a lot, a lot of politics, man. So first job out of law school was, was with Janie Blackwell. But by that time, while I was still trying to get the job with Janie Blackwell, I still was taking up cases. So I was basically um doing cases out out, out of my living room. Um, my living room was my um, was my office, but I started picking up like some good cases. So when I got the job with Janie, I told Janie, I said, um, I still got some open cases, and I wanna um, I wanna finish those out. I still wanna do that while I'm working for you. So she allowed me to do that, and basically what that led to is me both working for Janie and still you know kind of practicing law on the um, on the side. Yeah. Um, and then when um, when I got to the point when I started making more money practicing law on the side than I was making for um, working for Janie Blackwell, <laughs> I um, I left Janie Blackwell's office and um, and I started to run my practice full time. And at this point in time, I had an office in North Philly, right up um, by 22nd in Indiana, and I had an office in Center City. So I had my Center City office for like my developer clients and stuff like that mm -hmm. who ain't trying to come to North Philly. But then I also had my North Philly um, office for my North Philly folks who wasn't trying to come to Sin City, right? Um, so I did that for um, for a couple years, and then um, and I'm gonna get to diversify, but but all this oh, yeah yeah it's important. important. I want to see how you got the yeah. After practicing for for a couple years, you know, I knew that I I didn't want to practice um, for forever uh, because. I was doing family law and, and, and criminal law and every case is, is like the same. It's like being in the Jerry Springer show, um, you know, every day. And I, and I felt like I was, I was profiting off of people's problems, but I wasn't necessarily solving people's problems because your job as an attorney is to win the damn case. But sometimes winning the case ain't the best thing for your, um, for your clients. Sometimes they need more. Right. And I, as an attorney, I couldn't give them more. Um, so I didn't think I was going to do that forever anyway. One day, it's like 2006, I'm walking down the street trying to grab some lunch. I ran into Michael Nutter, who was a city councilman at the time. Um, he knew me and remembered me from when I worked for Janie Blackwell in city council. When you talk about reputation, this is where reputation, you know, comes into play. So he stopped me. He's like, oh, hey, oldest man, how you, how you doing? I'm doing good. What you been up to? You know, doing my law thing, my office down the street. You know, I'm doing well. He said, well, I don't know if you've been um, following the news or not, 
Um, but, you know, I'm serious about trying to make this run for, um, for, for mayor. And I could use young talent like you. Uh, and I was like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm down. Look, I gave him my business card. I'm like, call me. And I kept it moving. Well, he did call me. Um, long story short, I ended up um, joining his campaign. Um, but th this is an important point about how it happened, too, because uh, Michael Nutter and Janie Blackwell did not get along. Like they hated each other. They looked like enemies. No, I mean I knew that. I I, I was gonna I was gonna get yeah. to that. Actually, how that, that worked out. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They 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 hated each other, and I still had a good relationship with Janie Blackwell. In fact, she got me a lot of my business, you know, in my law practice because now when legal matters came to her office, she referred them to me, which is partially why my business was going well, right? Um, and most people would think there's no way you can get away with you know, working for Michael Nutter on his campaign and still maintaining a good relationship with Janie Blackwell. I was able to do that. Basically what I told Mike, I said, look, Mike, I want to do this. But before I do, you know, I got to go talk to Janie, right? He was like, yeah, I know. Because you can't hear it secondhand. You got to hear it from the horse's mouth yep. or else it's a betrayal. So, so I, go to, I go to Janie's office. And uh, I'm sitting down with her, you know, we, we busting it up, you know, everything's all good. And I was like, you know, Councilman, you know, everything that I accomplished up to this point, you know, it's all because of you. You taught me everything that I know about politics. Uh, you, you put me in position and I'm really, you know, appreciative of that. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta pump her up first, right? <laughs> so, so, so she's like, she's like, thank you, Otis. You know, I love you and, and, and all this and that and the other. And I say, which is why I'm here. I need to. I need to ask you something. So I was like, "Look, Michael asked me to um, to work on his um, on his campaign, and I want I want to do it. I'm gonna be honest. I want to do it. And um, but if you tell me not to do it, I won't. I won't do it. But but I'm saying that I I really do want to do this, right? And she was like, "Go ahead, do it." I'm like, "For real? Where?" And she was like, "Yeah." She was like. You know, it'll be a good experience for you. Um, you'll meet people with him that you that you won't meet with me because he'll be able to introduce you to um to a whole lot more people. You'll meet some business people. It'll be good for your um for for your law law practice. She was like, he ain't going win, um, but it'll be good for you. <laughs> <laughs> she still went at his neck. <laughs> yeah. But right, right off the bat, she was just like very supportive of me, right? It was like I was like I was like her political son, and um, and in in that instance, she didn't treat me like uh, an employee or a former employee. She treated me like family, and she wanted to do what was best for her family. She gave you dignity the same way that you look to do with other people. Right, right, exactly. But but then I came at her, and I was honest, right? She's like, it's a lot of snakes in this business, man. Right? Most people wouldn't even have went to her. They would have told Mike, I'm with you. And that would have been it. Like, they wouldn't even right. have went to her. So th that shows but again. But what happened? What about happened reputation and, and, you know. I kept my relationship with her. And I built a new relationship with him, which increased my political power. Because now I'm working with two camps. I got not two only that, camps of people. Not only that, it says something <laughs> to him that you wanted to speak to her first. Because if you, if you just tell him, hey, I'm with you now. And the side of his mind, he got to be thinking like that. That's who put him in the game, and he's not even gonna go have a conversation with. You know what I mean? So, exactly, exactly. So, long story short, 
did the campaign. Nobody thought he was going to win. He was in last place when, when I joined the campaign. Um, we won. Nobody thought he was going to win. And, and the first person I went to see the next day after we won was Janie Blackwell. I went back. I went to her office. She gave me a hug. She said, congratulations. She said, you did it. I don't know how y'all did it, but you, know, <laughs> you did it. And she said, the only thing that I got to say is just to make, make sure that he don't screw you. Make sure that, that, that you get good. So even then, she's still being a mother, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't care about, you know, I, I don't like him, but I ain't worried about him. I worried about you, right? Yeah. Make sure that you get yours. So I went into uh, Michael Nutter's administration um, and the may- mayor's office of community services. The mayor's office of community services was the city's anti-poverty agency. Um, it's its community action agency. When Lyndon B. Johnson um, started his war on poverty in, in 1965, 1964, mm-hmm. he created community action agencies all across the country. The mayor's office of community services was one of them um, that, that was still, um, still standing. And basically what I wanted to do is go um, turn the office around and, and have it fulfill its purpose because it wasn't at the, at the time. So I went in as the deputy executive director uh, the, the executive director, um, after a year and a half, had left and got a job at, at St. Joe's University. Then I became the executive director. And I was there for like four and a half years. And over that time, um, one of the things that we did is we managed a lot of grants. So we, we managed like seven, $7 million in grants that we, um, that, that we put out to other nonprofits. So when I was thinking about what did I want to do after Michael Nutter's eight years are up? Because usually the mayors get their pick, right? So after eight years, the new mayor's going to bring in their guy. Yeah. Right? When I was thinking about what I wanted to do, I'm looking at the nonprofit sector and all the things that I'm doing to help them through my office. And I'm thinking I can probably do that a little better than what they're doing it um, out there. I, I think there's a different way of, um, of approaching this work. And I don't see anybody out there um, doing it. So if I get a chance, I'm probably going to take my crack at it. And I got my chance through um, Diversified Community Services. Diversified Community Services. Let me ask you a question overall, because the one thing that's, um, that, that, that runs through or pokes its way through the story is that you've always had a community first um, you know, mindset. Yeah. Always. Where did that come from? How was that? Was that something that you that was instilled in you as a kid, or was something that you like? How where did that come from? Well, I mean, you know, it started from um, my teachers dating back uh, when I was in middle school at Robert Vaux Middle School. I went to Vaux Middle School at Twenty Fourth and Master. Um, in fact, that's where I met on Salon Tomazell, where he was my chess coach. But there's also other teachers that I still stay in contact with now. Miss um, Florence Johnson, who was my uh, my guidance counselor at um, at, at Box, and she's also become like a mother figure. She she's almost like almost like my my, my second mother. Um, she was responsible for getting me into the high, the high school of engineering science. She followed me all the way through um, through college. Um, got me my first computer. Um, they they were at my wedding. All all of, all of that stuff. Um, way back when I was young. When I was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, for some reason, you know, they, they saw it in me. They, they saw greatness in me. And they told me all the time that I was, I was destined to be great. 
that I was destined to um to lead our people. I was destined to get out of North Philly. But when I do get out, don't forget to throw that rope back. They they told me that from the very beginning since I was a kid. And I've always done it. You know, even when I left Fox and I went to high school, I was still coming back to Fox and working with the other kids on the chess team that I used to be on mentoring them, right? When I when I went off to college, I was still coming back to my high school, mentoring those kids, throwing, throwing the book back. That was always instilled in me from the beginning from, you know, educators, you know, black educators who could have taught anywhere, but they chose to stay in the hood and, and teach people like me. And wow, that's dope. That's dope. So they always instilled that into me. And it was always in me to always, you know, kind of keep that community mind um, in, in place. Yeah, that resonates. And, uh, and my, here's a question yeah. for you. Um, Cause you were on a chess team. What did chess do for you personally? Oh, it, it changed my life. So look, if it wasn't for chess, I might've been like Corey. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh man. I'm the hey man, I was raw in those days, man. I was the yeah. rawest on the streets, man. <laughs> I I tell you before the sixth before the um like seventh grade or whatever, you know, I used to always I just get suspended for fighting. So I was I was always smart, but I was always small. And I, I come from a rough family. You know, I come from a family that, you know, came up during um gang war in times. They was involved in that. Like if you was a bullock, you had to know how to fight. You had to know how to hold your own, right? you can't come running home because you're going to get your ass whooped back at, back at home and they're going to take you right back out there. So I come from, from, from that type of family. So I would fight at a drop of a hat. And um, a lot of my teachers were always concerned about, about that because I was smart. Like you're looking at my test scores, everything in the 99th percentile, you know, I was, I was mentally gifted. I was doing mentally, a mentally gifted program, but at the same time, you know, I, I would whoop your ass. And I mean like bad. Um, <laughs> I just found out. That I mean, like bad. Yeah, <laughs> I no, got you. My father. I, I'll give you. I'll give you an example. I, when we were down the bottom, um, we used to have a um a, a, a supermarket um right up on Haverford um Avenue. It, it it burned down in um in, in the late eighties. Um, but I remember coming back from the um from the supermarket, and um there was a project that that was like a half a block from us. Um, the Mantua Project, and guys from the um, from the project, you know, they 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 jumped on me, you know, whooped me up real good, um, because I couldn't fight them because my hands was full, and I couldn't come home without having the stuff that my pop sent me to go get. Right, so it was like, you got you got to take that one. You got to take that one for the team. So I get home, I'm all busted up, and my pop was like, "What happened to you?" And I'm like, "Well, they're trying to, you know, take the stuff that um that I went and got for you." I still got it, Pop, <laughs> you know? Um, but he was like, all right, I got something for them. So he goes down to the basement, and he comes back up with a um, with a golf club. And he gives it to me. And he said, next time you see see one of them, right, you run up on them and, and, and you wear their ass out. Uh, no, seriously. Yeah, I, absolutely. And, I got you. What, so now, so my house is literally, like, between – like the project and the supermarket. So it was no way that they was going to go to the supermarket and I wasn't going to see them. So I'm sitting in the window with the golf club waiting to see somebody. And when I see them, 
I run out the door and I'm chasing him and I'm whacking him with the golf club. Because that's what my pop taught me. And he's running going, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I know it was you because you wouldn't know why I was hitting you. <laughs> you right? He ain't giving himself up. <laughs> giving yourself up, right? So, I mean, I'm talking about it was, it was like that, right? And my teachers was trying to get me out of that mindset because that mindset was going to be the only reason that I wouldn't make it. It wasn't, it wasn't the academics, right? I was killing the academics. And I was going to mess around. I was going to be in jail. You know, I was going to hurt somebody or somebody was going to hurt me. And, you know, it'd be all for naught. But so, you know what's interesting about that is how many young <laughs> brothers you think that are out there like that now that just don't have someone to kind of like bring them in that probably like just mentally have it. But because of where you grew up, like your environment, it does something to you. It hardens you. Like, you know, it is. Yo, just just growing up in it, you don't even have to be involved in anything. But just growing up in the hood, you have like yeah. certain sensibilities like. So it just makes me think about how many like young brothers out there right now, and I speak a to lot, them specifically. It's a lot of traumatic and, what, and what's crazy? Yeah. Right now, I serve kids just like me, right? Yep. And, and and I can relate, and they can relate, right? If I had let law school change me, there's no way we'll be able to relate. There'll be no way I'll be able to have a um, conversation with them, right? But now that I can walk into a room of um of thirty teenage kids that have gotten in trouble for for one. What, whatever they got in trouble for, right? And it's our job to, to turn them around and get them right on the, on, on the right track. And we, we're sending kids to college now. I mean, we just sent a couple kids to college that had gotten into trouble. They got locked up. And now they just graduated from high school going to college. But I'm able to walk into that room and now have credibility I, and say, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. Because me, myself, even with the fancy suits on and everything, I've been there, right? I know what it's like to get out of school and, and, and to not feel safe and, and, and you're you feeling like, damn, how I'm going to get home? And, and, you know, home is 10 blocks away, yeah. right? And I got to get through all this shit before I get there. Mm -hmm. So now you got a gun. I've been there. Yep. Yep. So, but, but what I'm able also to do is show them that it's light on the other side of the tunnel if you navigate this right, the right way. You know, right? not, not even to sound cliche, it's about like being strategic and playing chess, not checkers, right? And playing chess. And that's why chess changed my life. Because what, what, uh, what chess did for me, one, it, it calmed me down. You know, like, I, I don't get as upset about things like, like I used to. And, and it also got me focusing. And then what L taught me is how to take what you're doing on the chessboard and apply the same things to life, right? So, look, I learned how to to avoid fights that I didn't have to be in, right? You can't you can't avoid you can't avoid every fight, right? But you know, one of the things that my my pop taught me because he's from the street, and my my dad didn't finish high school or anything like that, so the only thing he knew was how to survive in the streets, right? And he said, "Well, when you get into a fight, you're not just fighting the person that's in front of you; you're fighting everybody else who who's watching." The way you're going to get into fewer fights is that you use that person in front of you as an example, right? <laughs> that's real. No, that's so, real. So, so, so everybody else was like, I don't want none of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I took that I took that, and I'm like, well, when, when there's nobody else around to see, I don't need to have that fight yeah. at all. I don't need to have it at all because ain't nobody there to see. 
right? He's so, so I learned when to fight, when not to fight. When to set the example, when it's not even necessary to set, set the example. Because I used to be known as being a little dude that always had heart. That's like, he got a lot of heart. He'll fight anybody. And I, I used to be that kid that will fight anybody. You come up and say, hey, man, you want to rumble? Well, I, I, I put him up. We will rumble. We can rumble wherever you want to rumble. By the time I got to be like 15, 16 years old, I'm thinking like I'm only a couple years away from getting out of here, from going to college, right? Maybe I can avoid some of this stuff. I ain't got to have every fight. In fact, I've been fighting so much, people already know I can fight. Like, I don't need to show nobody. I ain't got to prove nothing to nobody, right? So then I start thinking like that. So now you're on the basketball court. You and whomever get into an argument. You know, and he's like, well, you, you know, it always goes here when you can't beat me in fighting. I, Yo, that's some, ball, Philly, that's some real Philly fighting. stuff. That's some real Philly stuff. <laughs> and you just cook me on the court. <laughs> you can't beat me, though. Right. Yeah, you can't beat me, though. So so then that that's the moment of truth, right? That's when everybody stop, everybody look, everybody want to know what you're going to do, right? You can fight or you can not fight and, and be a punk. I found a way to, to do neither, right? Not be a punk, but also not fight. By making him look silly for, for, for wanting to fight. Man, fuck out of here, man. It's stupid. You want to fight over a basketball game? I ain't fighting on no basketball game. Shut out my face, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you've been in enough fights so that actually means something. <laughs> I'm, I make myself bigger than the fight. I'm, I'm too big to fight. Yeah. That's, that's, man, listen. It's, it's, it's so many lessons in what you're telling. Like, your whole story is amazing because, listen... Yeah. And I know some of we have uh, people that watch from all over. But if you're from Philly, you know exactly the places that he's giving you when he tell you where he comes from. Like, Cor, I know yeah. like, when he tells you the neighborhoods and blocks. I already know I, it. I, I grew up four. I grew up four blocks from there, so I know exactly what he's talking. Yeah. About. I grew up. I grew up at 20th and York, so I grew up three blocks uh, over. So, three so blocks my point. Yeah, so my point exactly is we we, we know what it is, but we also know that you know ENS. Everybody can't go to ENS. You know what I mean? No, like, I can't. Yeah, yeah. No, not at all. Yeah, so we already know what that is in terms of the academic. So, um, and guess what? My son, my 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 twelve year old son is about to go to ENS this fall. Hold up, twelve year old. Yeah, so ENS got a middle school now. They started in seventh oh, grade. Oh, okay, that's dope. I was about to say, I'm about to say that. Okay, yeah, that's, that's, yep. that's that, that temple outreach. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. Dope. So 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 they started in seventh grade now, and uh, and my son is about to go there, and I'm 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 so proud. You know, it's like he's following in my um, my footsteps. Yeah, that's pretty dope. That's pretty dope. I had a lot of friends that went to ENS. Like, so me and Corey yeah. both went to Central, but um, I came from Ivy Leaf, and in Ivy Leaf, a lot of people went to ENS. That's one of the, like, yeah. the schools was Central ENS. Like, you know. So, man, listen. Um, th th this is this story is just amazing. So now you're working in the community. You're still serving yeah. the people. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you're highly educated, smart, intelligent brother, but you're using those those gifts to give back to your own people. So you're kind of like. You still somehow found your way doing what you wanted to do from the get-go. I found my way doing it. I just found a way to do it a different way. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and, and I love the way I do it now because I'm, I'm, I'm right here on the, on the ground with the people. I, I live with the people. I work in the people. My office is right there on Point Breeze Avenue. It's in Point Breeze. When I'm walking up and down the street and in Point Breeze, you know, folks be like, yo, Mr. Bullock, you, um, you're doing a good job. And yeah. even when they don't think that I'm going, doing a good job, they can come up and tell me that too. And to me, that that's really keeping it real, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's <laughs> that's amazing, man. So along this journey, let me ask you this question: 
what is the biggest hurdle? Now you're giving us some in terms of like your temper and, and learning to control that. Yeah. Would you say that's your biggest hurdle or would you say something else is your biggest hurdle that you had to get over to bring you to where you are today? The, the biggest hurdle really was um, making it to college. Like I, I felt like once I made it out of my, um, my parents' household um, and, and actually made it to college, something I, I never really knew if it was going to happen. You know, teachers talked about it. We talked about it. But, you know, you, you live like day to day in the, in the hood, right? And you, you never know if you're going to survive that day. Um, and especially during my teenage years, I, I, I lived my teenage years scared as hell. I was, I was scared that I was going to hurt somebody or somebody was going to hurt me and I was never going to make it. So when I, when I made it out, I mean, that's when I told myself, man, if I could do this, like everything else is easy. And, and that's the way I approach life right now, right? I'm, I'm, I'm playing with house money right now. I've, I've already yep. done more, more than anybody ever expected. This is house money. Yep. So same hood, it, same thing. <laughs> yeah. It makes it easy for me to go hard for my community because I ain't got nothing to lose. I already, I already won. I won already. already won. I already won. So the hardest thing was actually making it out. And, and that's why I work with these kids because um, I, I understand where they're coming from. That's the hardest thing, you know, just, just making it out. You just, you're just trying to live, like literally trying to live. Man, that's, that's powerful <laughs> right there. Yeah, that's powerful right there. All right, so another thing I want to ask you is, what, and I, don't, don't use the cheat code. We already know you're in the book, so you can't say there's that book. But what book, any other book that has inspired you along your journey, something that you can like, think back to that you, know, that you read that changed your life in any way? There was, um, there was um, the first two black books um, that, that I've ever read. Um, was um, the Souls of um, Black Folk by W. E. B. Du Bois, e. B. and the, um, the 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 narrative of, of the life of um, Frederick Douglass. Um, those two books was given to me um, by a black attorney when I was 15 years old. Uh, I was interning at his office, and he was into rare black books, and specifically W. E. B. Du Bois. Um, he gave me those two books as a Christmas gift, and up until that point. I had never um, read a black book. I've, I've read many books, but never a black book. Because I, I only read the books that um, the schools gave me and they didn't give us black books to read. Yeah. And, uh, and when he gave me those two books and I read those books, um, those, those books really changed my life. And it really made me immerse myself um, in, in our black culture, um, in our black um, literature. And I, I read everything, you know, black, that I could possibly um, read. Um, that really changed my outlook on life and, and how I view our, our community and, 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 and what are tactics that we can even use to, um, to uplift our community. Man, great. Those are two great choices. Those are classic books, classic literature right there. Um, so what does the future hold for Otis Bullock Jr.? What's your future look like? What are your plans or some of the things that you want to get into or, or something that you want to accomplish moving forward? Well, right now I'm working on a, um, on a merger. Um, I'm working on uh, merging my organization with, with another organization in, um, in South Philly. So my organization um, operating budget is about um, $5.7 million. We have 120 employees. And the other organization is about four and a half million dollars um, with, with 80 employees. Um, together we'll be about 10, to, 10 million strong. 
um, with, with almost um, 200 employees nice. to do this work that we, um, that we do. I believe um, we, we, we got to become a resource um, for, for our community and we can't be in a position to always be, you know, begging people to, um, to help us. So we got we to gotta be in a position to build our communities our, ourselves. So Do for self. Yeah, so through my nonprofit, I, try, I just try to be a re- resource. We're, we're stationed in Point Breeze. 65% of our employees are from that community. Um, we're a predominantly um, black organization now. Um, we're, we're black-led. We have a, a, a black board, um, board chair. And with the resources that we have, we're able to hire black people. We're able to uh, contract with black vendors. Um, we able to, we're able to build um, in, in a predominantly um, black community. So I want to become um, bigger and I want to take my model that I, that I have going on down in Point Breeze and, you know, kind of pepper that in some other communities in, in Philadelphia that don't have the type of resources that we have. Yeah, that's, that's amazing work right there. Um, because institutions matter, right? So all that's institutions, right. educational institutions, you know, nonprofit institutions, and a lot of times people sleep on the nonprofit sector, but their businesses in our neighborhoods. They're right. It's part of owning your neighborhood is owning the businesses in your neighborhood. But those nonprofits are businesses. Their their jobs being had, and like you said, you got two hundred people with this yeah. merger working, you know, in that community. And doing work that's needed. And that's important too. And yeah. I, and unfortunately, they're they're predominantly run by white folk. So that that goes back to your original question of. How is it that you never heard of this organization before me? Um, this organization has uh, been around since the late 1800s. Uh, it's, it's always been a predominantly um, uh, white organization. Um, but, you know, I, I made it black. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that's why, that's why I like that. I think we found a show title, Corey. I made it black. <laughs> no, because that's powerful, right? So, so it's it's always yeah. this debate about um doing work outside of uh you know the, the the structures, the organizations versus getting your way in and doing the work that needs to be done within. Um, yeah. To me, the answer is we need both, right? So we need both. you need you need Absolutely. entrepreneurs and people to build new things, but you also need people to get within those walls to navigate because you you re- rearranged an entire organization that's been around. You said since the eighteen hundreds. Yeah. So this is an organization yeah. that was here, like you know, I don't know how far back in eighteen hundred, possibly slavery, but definitely Jim Crow, definitely civil rights, and now it's a black facing organization. That's that's and powerful. Now, and now when people say diversified community services. They gotta say Otis Bullock. Yeah, yeah. And they so, don't re- and they don't remember anybody else, do they? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. So you, <laughs> so the fact is you've like went inside and changed an entire organization. That's powerful. And it's history. You made history. Mm-hmm. You're the first yeah. black executive director, man. So um first off, salute and congratulations. Um and, and much success to everything that you got going forward, man. Cause uh I think the people will learn a lot from this interview here. For one, how you know, the assets that you use is your reputation. Your reputation is everything. Absolutely. And also how you treat people. How you treat people. You're respectful and honest about, you know, what you were doing. So, you know, you navigate that way. Um, How politics plays a part, business plays a part, mentorship plays a part. And, you know, always stay community first. And I think all of those are lessons that I personally took. So one one of the great things about this podcast is we try to do this to, like, you know, showcase people. But I learn a lot from everybody that comes through here. Right. 
and, and yeah, so I love to hear stories like yours because, um, like I said, I know the neighborhood you come from and I see the success. And now I get to even read about you in a book I didn't, that I didn't even know until we had this uh, talk. <laughs> that, 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 the funny thing is I would have read that and say, oh, Otis, like, you know what I mean? Like, it never put that together. So, man, this is pretty dope, man. Listen, um, man, Corey, anything you want to say before we get out of here, good brother? I appreciate, I, I appreciate my good brother's time, man. We grew up, you know, not like a, not far apart. You know what I mean? Right. You know, difference of five or six blocks, man. And to see two of us, you know what I mean, in a situation where we can, you know, do powerful things to help other people, man, it makes me, you know, it makes me proud. You know what I mean? Like, just to see you in the positions that you are in, you know what I mean? We went through a lot of stuff together, man. And so, That's right. You know what I mean? You know, and so, you know, it, it, you know, this is one of those joyful moments. You know what I mean? Like, all right, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. for real, you know what I mean? Like, no, it is, because here's the power we, we, to me, we, right? We do a lot of the same work. Yeah. From different angles. You know what I mean? Because, right. you know, because I'm still full steam ahead. I, you know, no, I you're, you're about community it. first. Community first. I get that. No. but. Yeah, to me, what's powerful about this is you two connecting on a college campus, right? Two people that come from where you guys come from, and college kind of brought y'all together because it shows that we can dominate and, and, and make connections in any space that we're in, right? Yeah, we, so, we went to a PWI. It was ninety six percent white when we went there. Oh yeah, so yeah. We linked up, but we lived on an all black floor, so that was the other. <laughs> <laughs> so ninety six percent. But y'all were still segregated, huh? Yeah, I got yeah, you. Pretty I got much. You. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right man so listen for the folks out there man i hope you've taken something from this episode make sure that you share it i'm going to put uh otis's social media contacts and everything that he has going on within the description box so you can take a look at some of the work that he's doing in the community um nonprofit is something that you know you should be looking at right so people talk about building businesses all the time but you know as someone who's an avid reader when i look at some of these nonprofits, right and this is a whole different angle and i see what some of these ceos and nonprofits are making i'm like hold up this is a whole other side that's never taught to our people, right? How you can yeah. actually do good, but you don't have to take a vow of poverty to do good. You really don't. And if you I don't, knew that too. Yeah. The United Way, the United Ways. <laughs> Man, you just stole my next point. I was going to say, if you want to see, look up who the, the, this, uh, the executive director of the United Way makes. Look at his salary. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So you can actually do good, um, but nonprofit is something that we need. We need nonprofit organizations in our community, about our community. We need to build everything. You know what I mean? So, but make sure you check out what Otis has going on. Um, make sure you share this, hit the like button. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, because we're all over the place, make sure that you, you know, um, give us a good rating and um, leave us a comment. Tell us how you feel about it. Um, Otis, man, again, my last words to you mm -hmm. are just keep doing the work you're doing, man. Congratulations and salute for, uh, you know, making it to where you are thus far. And, you know, we're going to be rooting you on and try to give you help in any way we can, good brother. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And to the people out there, as we always say, it's not about how much money you make, it's about how much you keep. Game elevates, and we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.